Which is the beauty of the horses, isn't it? That they give us so many different kind of realms to go down, so many different oh, paths to follow. It's just like, where do you want to go with this? How do you want to teach it? Where's your forte? You know, get it out there to the world. I, I'm predicting world domination by horses by 2020. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. And this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Samford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. This week's show is brought to you by Equitana Australia. Equitana is happening from the 15th to 18th of November this year in Melbourne. One of the newest Equitana competitions, the Connection Challenge, will highlight the harmony and partnership between horse and rider, incorporating all disciplines from dressage and show jumping to liberty and horsemanship. This is a timed event, including agility, obstacles, precision and performance. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's on in the Think Fencing Arena on the Saturday from 4.30 till 6pm. You can see this with a day pass. To get your tickets, go to equitana.com.au. I hope to see you there. Make sure you say hi if you see me. In this episode, I speak with AJ Millions from Leading the Way International. AJ does one of my passions. She has an experiential horse-facilitated learning centre. AJ works with people of all ages and from many different walks of life. Her experience in life herself is extraordinary. It began on a large ranch in Canada with her grandfather, learning how she did not want to train horses. You'll hear how AJ worked with First Canadian Elders in a women's correctional centre where she assisted in an equine program to help rehabilitate women into society without reoffending and entering the cycle of corrections. AJ has worked with so many amazing horse people in her life so far, one of which was Ray Hunt when she was only 18. AJ has also been lucky enough to study with Linda Kohenov, who brings such wisdom to any horse-assisted therapy work and is the reason that I began therapy work many, many years ago. I don't do it now, but she's the reason I started in the first place and have such a passion for it. AJ's passion is working with at-risk youth, and you'll hear stories of how she facilitates change with her incredible herd for these kids who just don't fit into the current education system. AJ also has a passion for making sure her horses are really well taken care of in every way in this therapy work. This kind of work can have a really big impact on horses, and we speak with AJ about the way that she's able to care for her herd and energetically take care of them and give them choice and Make sure that they don't have any negative responses or setbacks when they do this kind of work. It's really fascinating and it's really, really important for anyone doing this kind of work in the world to listen to. It's a brilliant talk and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Here is AJ. AJ, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. Can you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? I have been running a business here on the Sunshine Coast doing horse-facilitated learning 
So supporting people to gain a better understanding of themselves through the horses. Wow. And I must say, everyone, I'm pretty excited to talk to AJ today because this is something that's in my background and history and, and something that I've been really waiting to, to dive into with someone. So I, I'm a bit excited today to um, have this amazing conversation. Well, fantastic. I'm so excited to um, participate in it. Yes. Okay. So first of all, did you grow up with horses? Have they always been a part of your life? Look, they have been. My grandfather had a ranch in Canada, um, Saskatchewan to be exact. And when I was up until seven, we always traveled to the ranch in the summer times to be surrounded by horses and cattle. And then we moved to the ranch when I was um, seven and a half and just lived a ranching lifestyle. So horses have always been with me. My mother and my grandmother and my grandfather were all um, horse people. Um, my grandfather, actually, his father used to ride with Buffalo Bill. So we come from a long line of cowboys doing things the cowboy way or the cowgirl way. So horses were just a, a mode of transportation for us that my mother used to ride to school. Um, so, And I used to ride home from school on my horses from the bus. They'd drop me off and I'd jump on my horse and ride home. Um, so horses have always been around around me. Um, I loved them as a young girl. It was you couldn't keep me off of them. Um, I worked with them daily, you know, riding horses, chasing cows every day, kind of kind of thing on the ranch. So always around the horsepower. It sounds like an idyllic childhood. Well, it was idyllic to a point. The horses were my saving grace, um, along with. The living on the grandfather's ranch came a lot of stress, a lot of alcoholism from the adults around me. So it kind of, you know, it was idyllic in the way that I spent my time with my horses and my animals and my cows as well, but not idyllic growing up in that environment. So I relied on my horses a lot for my mental well-being. Ah, oh, that's such a common story for people. It seems it's um, who are working in this way with horses now, whether they're training in such a, a gentle, equal partnership relationship way or doing therapy work. It's that empath as a child having to escape that something in their life from their adults and, and finding that solace in horses. It seems that it, yeah, it's so finally true. Tuned, finally tuned from a child. Mm. For sure. And, you know, I used to watch my grandfather being a cowboy I used to watch how he did things in, you know, a detrimental cowboy way. And as a child, I didn't understand how anybody could treat a horse like that. So I learned basically what not to do by watching him and would sneak out and train my own horses. I think I started my first horse to ride when I was, I think, around 12 or 13. And I just did everything exactly opposite to what I saw around me because I didn't agree with, you know, the abuse that the animals were under or the diminishing ways of being with them. So it was an interesting process. I had to really stick to my guns and, you know, be who I was in that, in that environment and be there for the horse first and, and myself second. How did that go, starting your first horse? It was amazing. Um, I got, 
<laughs> I got the horse. His name was Charlie Horse. He was a little buckskin. He and he had like the Spanish background with the zebra striped legs and the dorsal stripe. And he was a mighty horse. His his mother was out of a string of bucking horses. Um, she hated human beings. She hated particularly men. And she used to get the look in her eye. Her name was Nancy, and I call it the Nancy look. When a horse looks at you like, if you touch me, I may kill you. I'm not sure yet. So as a child, I kind of recognized that anger and that fear in a horse. And I was able to communicate with her prior to even touching her. So she knew I wasn't going to be a threat to her. So he, Charlie Horse was out of her. So she, he was a really switched on horse. Um, I think the mares um, just kind of osmosisly give their children these certain characteristics um, because they grow up with their mom so close to them and by their side. So Charlie Horse was, he was raw. He was a raw horse, but he was because of, I guess, the childlike essence of me playing with him and being around him. He didn't have that kind of attitude towards humans as she did. So he was a mighty, mighty horse, and he was really easy to start. But, you know, that bucking thing was in his blood, and you'd saddle him up, and he'd have a buck, and then you were good to go for the rest of the day. If you didn't let him have his little buck while you were on the ground, um, he would try and do it when you were on his back, but he wasn't a good bucker, so thank goodness. Um, he got through that really quickly, and then it, he was good for the day, and he would work all day. He was a mighty little horse. How long did you have him for? Did he take you through your childhood? Up to he took, yeah, he took me through my childhood. In Canada, we have 4-H rather than Pony Club. Mm -hmm. um, and he was my 4-H horse. He was my ranch horse. He was my roping, you know, branding off of horse. He, he was an, the everything horse. He even turned into a jumping horse at, at one point in time, and he loved to jump. Um, People used to actually come for miles because jumping is not a really um, popular thing in the middle of Canada on a ranching environment. So people used to come for miles to watch him and I jump because sometimes I would go over the jump. Sometimes we, he would go over the jump. Sometimes we go together, um, <laughs> but we would go at full speed because he never did anything slowly. So people would just come to watch for the entertainment. And, you know, I had him through my, my childhood. Um, my sons rode him when they were younger. Um, so, he, you know, he was an amazing little, a little horse. He wasn't a very big horse, but, boy, he could go. And what came next in your life after Charlie Horse? Well, after Charlie Horse, um, you know, I, was, I had children at that point, um, kind of. So not... you kept him right through your adulthood? So you oh, left, yeah, for you sure. I stayed with you. I don't get rid of horses. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I don't, I find it really difficult to sell a horse um, because I'm very particular about the people who are around my horses. Yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not a good horse trader. Um, much to my grandfather's um, dismay, I was not a good horse trader. Mm. So um, yeah, Charlie horse, you know, I had other horses in there too um, that supported me. I had one particular mare, Freckles, who um, I had, you know, all these horses we raised on the ranch, so, you know, from birth, and she was a real special horse to me, and what, you know, some of my greatest learnings came from her. Um, I, unfortunately, when I was um, probably in my early uh, 19 or 20, I had to put her down myself. Mm -hmm. um, 
which was one of the biggest challenges I think I've ever faced in my life is having to put down one of my own horses, you know, at my own hand kind of thing. Wow. Um, a lot of growth and learning comes with having horses and, you know, there's, there's always that other side of things. And, um, was she injured? Yeah, she was injured. Um, tried to rehabilitate her for, for quite a number of years and things just kept getting worse and worse. And, you know, it was like, I just can't watch her suffer anymore. Cause I knew, you know, she, she didn't show me she was in a lot of pain, but I knew she had to have been in a lot of pain and winters were really hard on her in Canada. Our winters are pretty tough. Mm. Um, so trying to get her and her injury through winter was a real challenge. And it just got to the point where, you know, I just, I tapped in with how she was feeling uh, kind of spirit wise. And, and, you know, she said she was, it was time for her to go. So, um, yeah, not an easy thing to do when we have these fur babies. Mm. Yeah, but she taught me a lot. Um, she was the one who really got me through my teenagehood intact. There were many times I didn't want to be on the planet. Um, thought about taking my own life. Thought about running away. Um, just getting out of the environment that I was in. And you know, she was always there for me. I could jump on her and just ride off into the sunset, literally, because we were on six thousand acres. So you could ride off into the sunset. And, you know, when I was in that state, my horses always had my back. Never once did I get into trouble. Um, they just knew that I needed them and they were there. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? They are the wisest animals. And, you know, when you can tap in with that connection with them, they will always be there for you. Mm, God, it's so beautiful. So yeah. you came, uh, you had children. I have two beautiful boys um, who are Canadians. One lives in Canada now and one lives in Australia. Um, and they grew up, you know, kind of the same thing on horseback, um, doing their thing in on the ranch while we were there. Um, it was at this point when my children were, were around, it was my mother's ranch. So my mom bought it for my grandfather. And so mom and I and the kids, we um, spent a lot of time together, same thing, riding horses and chasing cows, which is so therapeutic and so much to be learned in that environment. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of real life lessons that can happen on a ranch, I'm sure. You betcha. And a lot of common sense to be learned. You know, kids, ranching kids grow up with, with some common sense about them. And that is one of my dreams is to... Um, have a, a bigger property one day that I can start my um, college of common sense and have cattle and horses on a bigger scale so kids can come out and learn that common sense that unfortunately um, our our devices and our you know the way we live our lives now is kind of lacking in our children so when I talk to employers about you know what they're looking for when they want to hire somebody it's <laughs> they don't really care what's what you know education they have they just want somebody with some common sense yeah and an ability to solve problems you betcha so um you know that is looking down the track hopefully in the next five years i'll be able to create a bigger property that um we can start offering an actual you know accredited course in common sense that's absolutely fantastic yes we say often common sense that's not so common that is so true <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, so my kids, um, you know, grew up in that environment. And, um, you know, it, living in Canada and Saskatchewan, we live, um, you know, like I said, it's that cowboy kind of tradition. But with that also came the First Nations tradition. We were right in, you know, of course, our land is part of the First Nations land. So the um, local First Nations um, tribe is not far from where I, you know, where our ranch was. So they have over there a correctional facility for First Nations women that is built on their reserve. And I was lucky enough to kind of um, be friends with the fellow who, Dale Mosquito, who ran the horse program in the um, Healing Lodge. And he invited me to come along one summer when I was back in Canada to um, be a co-facilitator in the horse program with him. And that's when I really started to understand how impactful horses are in supporting people to heal. It was an amazing experience. Um, I got to partake in, in ceremony with the girls, which for me was more growth and learning and understanding of myself, being in sweat lodge with them, watch horse the horse dance ceremony, sun dance ceremony. Really, really amazing, connected um, people. And it, I was so honored to to be in that environment and learn from them and being with the girls in the correctional facility was another, you know, I had to kind of prove myself to them. And when it came to, you know, working with them in the horse environment, I was able, they could see my, you know, my assets and, and kind of accepted me into their herd um, of learning. So it was a, a really good experience. But I, that, like I said, that's where I really realized the impact that horses can have in the human realm. I knew it osmosisly, you know, I knew what they gave me and how they supported me. But I, I didn't see that as being like a real gift for others. And, and honestly, it is one of the biggest gifts. I have a little question for you. Yeah. I did some volunteering on the Gold Coast in an in a alcohol and drug rehabilitation centre. And I was very nervous going in and then I landed and I was like a duck to water. Um, they loved me. I loved them. We'd do gardening together. We'd go shoveling horse poo together. Everyone lined up to have space with me, time with me. So it was like whenever, if I need to go and shovel horse poo with Tracy, I'm there, line me up. You know, every everyone wanted time with me. And they would all say, well, who was it in your life who had the addiction? I'm like, no one. I, I mm. wasn't a part of this. Um, but I believe it's because most of them that I saw in there were that empath as well. Did you yes. find that over in the correctional centre with these first first Canadians that it was the empath who just gets completely um, downtrodden? That's you bet. That you I bet. With these kids, and that's why we were like almost kindred spirits, and they were like family to me from the day I got there. Yes, definitely. And you know, the empaths are so connected to the earth; they're so connected to the animal realm. And when they try to live in what we call the real world or be in the real world, they feel they don't fit anywhere. Because the real world is too busy, it's too noisy, it doesn't suit who they are as, as empathic people. So they really struggle with it. And I feel that that is part of the addiction problem is that, 
they're trying to you know, dull their senses down so they're not taking in so much information. And also the absolute lack of congruence in the real world. Yes. All the people out there who are speaking what they think is their truth, but the empath can feel in their body that what they're speaking is not the truth. So it's oh, very bet. discombobulating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's interesting, like with the First Nation girls, I you know, coming from an alcoholic background um, and being surrounded by that um, when we started sharing, when everybody started their addictions, I was the, I was the youngest one in the group to start drinking. Wow. And I, I started drinking at nine. Wow. My, my parents would be shocked to hear that, I'm sure. But I used to steal my grandfather's whiskey out of his house and hide it down at the creek. And whenever things got you know, in the house out of control, I would go down to the the creek and do what I saw adults do, which was drink. That must be how you resolve issues and solve problems. And so I would go down and hide under my tree and watch muskrats swim up and down the creek and drink whiskey. Wow. At nine. At nine. Your stomach lining must have needed some regeneration. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was in the correctional facility and we're all sharing and, you know, these girls all have some pretty big stories as to why they're in this facility. And I'm like, okay, I'm the youngest person here who started that. I was, I, I was shocked. And, you know, when I really started to think about it, it was like there by the grace of God go I. You know, for whatever reason, my life kept me out of a correctional facility. It kept me out of, you know, that kind of um, path, I suppose. I was I was on the path, but it, it would kind of do a bit of curves for me to keep me out of going completely down that path. Yeah. Just to make sure you really wanted it, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. You know, so... In that process of working with those girls, I gained so much, um, you know, so much understanding about myself, so much healing was done in that space. Um, I will always be, you know, so grateful to the elders involved. Their elders come into the correctional facility every day and work with the girls, get them back to their culture, back to that empathic way of being. How it, old it were these girls in the correctional facility? Look, anywhere from there was some as young as 18. Um, there was some as old as 60, 70. There for various reasons. There were, there, there, there were girls there. I went, I went back. I traveled back and forth for a number of years um, to go work in this program. Um, so I was living in Australia and I'd fly back. Um, seasonally for programs. I didn't do any winter programs because I am so over winter, but I did spring, (laughs) summer and fall programs. And um, yeah, they were in there for various reasons, various ages. Um, You know, thinking of one, one young girl, she was only 18 and she had been driving a car drunk and hit another car and killed three people. Oh, You know, so I, you know, like I said, there by the grace of God go I, because drink driving back in my day in in the middle of Saskatchewan was, is a, and probably still is a very common practice. Mm, I come from a small country town in the Riverina and it was pretty common back in my day as well, including me. Yeah. When I first got my license, it was 
something that I didn't even think twice about. And I want to go a bit deeper into what it is that you were able to do. So in Australia, there's not much rehabilitation that happens in any of our correctional facilities that I know of. There's a lot of time spent doing extraordinary, extraordinarily menial tasks. Like I know in one of the women's prisons in Victoria, they would sit there for hours a day and those legacy badges that we buy at legacy time with the little ribbons on them, they would pin those to cards. Uh-huh. How on earth <laughs> is somebody meant to come out of that kind of environment after doing that all day and go back into society and be able to add something positive to it. What did you find with the people that were there, with the correctional facility and the influence that the program that you did had? Well, it, it was a really interesting process to watch because the correctional facility itself is, like I said, it's on reserve land. So it is, it's built and it's built on their land and it's built in a circle. So everything was as culturally significant, if that makes sense, as it could be. So all the buildings, the, the big building that they would meet in is, is a circle building. The building that they would go and do, you know, their prayers and, um, connect around a fire indoors was a circle. Um, so traditionally they were really spot on with everything that they were doing, creating this environment for these girls. There were, there are no fences in this facility. So perfect. So, you know, it was a place of healing, not a place of correction. If that makes sense. There's such for me, there is such a difference in those two words. So, you know, these these girls have not had easy lives and, and I'm not making excuses for their behaviors and what has unfolded to get them into these facilities, but there's big stories behind why they are in these facilities. And there's so, also an enormous lack of teaching them skills uh, to be able to change their own behavior. Exactly. And that's what the horses did for them. They actually were able to, present programs that the girls could see if I change something about my thoughts, if I change something about my perception of where I'm at in my life or just what my, what a thought, what I'm thinking, if I change a perception, then that horse is going to reflect that back instantly. So when they make a change in themselves, they get that instant confirmation that they've changed a thought, they've changed the wiring in their brain. Now, for me, that is just so exciting because out in the real world, we may change something in our thoughts. We may change something in the way we perceive things, but we don't get instant confirmation that we've done it. So then what might happen out in the real world is, and I'll just use, you know, a child coming in my program who comes from a family that the family's doing it really tough. There's not a lot of positive support coming from the family. So they go back every day that they 
they come and do program and they go, oh my gosh, I've had a revelation and I want to change something in my thoughts. I want to change something in my life. And then they go home to the same environment where nothing has changed and there is nothing good reflected back to them. Now, they're not going to keep, you know, bumping up against this negativity with their positive attitude without going back to thinking negative. Yeah, there's all of the great positive thinking business podcast. You are an absolute reflection of the five people you spend the most time with. There you go. And, you know, so they'll, they'll leave here. They'll have a great experience with the horses. They'll change something in their thinking and then they'll bump against negativity again and again and again. And they'll go, well, this stuff doesn't work. That lady and that horse stuff is crazy. This isn't working for me because there's no instant, um, you know, ah, No instant feedback and no No ongoing support. That they've done something brilliant. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that's the, and in this environment, in the correctional facility, they would, you know, they're in this facility for some of them for a number of years. So they're getting all that really good feedback that what they're doing in their lives, what they're doing with their families, their thoughts, their projections, are changing their environment. It changes what happens to us. It changes the feedback going out into the world. And, you know, the horses reflect that back instantly to them. And they're like, oh, yes, I get this. But they're there for a number of years, so they can keep grooming that. Mm -hmm. They can keep adding value to that. Yeah, and they can support each other in it as well. And, you know, the brilliance of the horse in reflecting that to us and it's energy oh my gosh it, it, you know everything in this world is energy energy in motion and it doesn't matter what little thing you do in the world it's it's an energy that you're sending out and this goes back so much to um, what a lot of the trainers speak about is that they can do a type of training with their horse and The horse just says, no, 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 no. In very aggressive, sometimes just ignorant, ignoring ways, sometimes aggressive. And then as soon as these trainers learnt to change their methods, the horse would change instantly. Yes. There is so much credit that needs to go to horses that they don't sit in the story. Mm -hmm. They don't hold a grudge on you because you're so ignorant for such a long time like we spend so much time in ignorance thinking why isn't this happening yeah Um, the the ability and the kindness of them to give us that feedback instantly if that was another human we were doing that with the amount of evolution that human and awareness that human would have to have to not hold a grudge because somebody's done something wrong to them so many times and now they change and we're like, oh, there we go. We can feed back differently to you now. It's, you don't get many humans that can do that, but horses, they just do it time and time and time again. Yeah, they are very forgiving of our lack of awareness. And, you know, when it's interesting, when you start waking up, when you, when, you know, the veil has been lifted and you start seeing things through different eyes, there's, there's a lot of forgiveness that you have to do for your own well-being around that. Um, speaking for myself, it's, it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. And I'm really, really sorry for the way that I have done things in the past with horses. I am, you know, 
so I do my own little process or I've done my own little process in the back in the, in the past, sorry, to go back and forgive myself for what I did not know. Yeah. I often, um, when those little bits pop up for me, I give myself at that age a virtual hug and I say, we did the best we could. Yeah. I did the best I could. I did the best I knew how to do and it's yeah. okay. I've yeah. got this now. Yeah, definitely. It's really important to have that kind of self-care. Could you give me um, a couple of examples of girls that you saw change over the time that they were there? And do you have any that went through and were able to integrate back into society as well? For sure. Look, um, (laughs) it was funny when you said, can I give you any examples? And she just popped straight into my brain. And she is one of the most amazing women I have ever met. Um, She, she, is just the biggest smile uh, I have ever seen on anybody. You put her on a horse and she is just in her absolute happy place. And, you know, she was one of the most um, willing participants, the most open, wanted to heal, wanted to move forward in her life. She now um, is, you know, kicking goals, has a great job. She went back to school. Um, She's an electrician now. So she works in northern Canada in the mines as an electrician. She's she's an amazing example of what the horse program did for her. And she will be the first to put her hand up and say it was because of the horses that I am where I am today. She learned so much from them. Um, just, you know, all those skills that we've been talking about, all those life skills that horses can give us, um, she just embraced and kept moving forward and kept focusing on them in her life. So yeah, she was, she was one um, amazing girl. She's now a grandmother. I believe she's, I keep in, we keep in contact on Facebook, which is beautiful. Yeah. So definitely her. Look, there's a couple other girls um, that went through. There was one really impactful one who she's actually wrote a book. And um, her story was huge. She, she, she had an absolutely huge story. And she wrote a book in conjunction with uh, another writer about her life and, and how she ended up in the correctional facility. And I've actually lost a bit of contact with her. I, I would suspect she was in there for 25 years. So, but I suspect she is probably not in, this, in corrections anymore. Um, but she was, she was a mighty woman. Her... Um, her grandfather was um, Little Bear, I believe. No, I'm quoting that wrong. Sorry, I can't think of his his proper name. Um, okay. That's yeah. Sorry, um, but you know he was a mighty man back in the eighteen, you know, or the you know early 1900s. He was a chief. Um, saw many things in his life, and she was his descendant, and she was a powerful, powerful woman. In the correctional facility, she she brought up many injustices. Um, she made things really blatantly obvious where corrections were falling down. Um, so she was a bit. <laughs> I liked her because she was a rebel, and I'm sure she's she's um, kicking some goals now that she's out and you know got her life back to her and you know her choices back and her direction back. Yeah. Mm, I'd love to, um, we, we might put the book or a link to the book in the show notes and on the blog. Yeah, definitely. I'd certainly like to look into that one more. That sounds fascinating. Look, it's a, it's a huge book. It's, you know, and not an uncommon um, read. I'm sure the storyline is, you know, can, is quite common to, to women 
of any nationality, unfortunately. Yeah, slowly it. Um, slowly, we're all speaking up. Slowly, we're. Yeah. Yes. You okay. Bet. So, what brought you to Australia? <laughs> Funny story that one. Um, <laughs> I've had. I've Other lived, than cold winters. Yes. Well, cold winters definitely was one reason for making the big move over here. But when I first initially came over, um, I was marketing ostriches. <laughs> Of course. Of course, it's you. <laughs> that was my first yeah, guess. <laughs> because I, I worked for um, a, a fellow in Canada who raised ostriches, and we were, we were exporting ostriches to Australia. So I was part of the whole bringing ostriches over from Canada to Australia, as, as you do. <laughs> yeah. Alive. Alive, yes, on planes. Um, so that's how I got here um, many, many, many moons ago and decided to stay. And um, like the winters are so agreeable. So, yes. In Queensland, yeah. In Queensland, yeah. My, my mother passed in a car accident um, in 1996 and that was kind of a catalyst for, for much change in my life. There's, there's a really big story around that. Um, yeah. that I might share just a little bit of it. Um, Please do. She was um, driving to go see her mother. It was a two-hour trip away, and um, she was coming back from visiting her mother and had a, a, a car accident and died immediately in the accident, but we couldn't find her vehicle or her remains for two weeks. And she had, you know, Virtually, it was two weeks of looking for her um, searches, the community all pulling together, aerial searches, horseback searches, the whole thing, um, and, you know, couldn't, could not find her. So it was the 14 days after she disappeared that the police came to me and said, look, we're going to call off the search and take it to the next level, whatever that meant for them. And, you know, you don't have any say in how they do things. So it was like, okay, well, you know better than I do how to handle this stuff. So they called the search off. But that night, a lady um, saw she lived probably about four hours from from us. And she had been kind of watching the news while she was preparing dinner. And she heard about um, my mom's disappearance on the news. And she went to bed that night um, and had a dream about where my mother was. Wow. And it was, it was very cryptic. All the information came to her in a very cryptic fashion. So she wrote down all the information she could remember from her dream, got a map circled on the map where she felt my mother was, and faxed that, because back in those days it was fax machines. She faxed that to the local um, RCMP, the local police, and thank goodness the local policeman thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to take a drive and see if I can find her. And he found her that morning. Wow. So that for me was a huge, huge catalyst of change and understanding that there is so much in the world out there that I, you know, don't know. Um, so many people have so many gifts that I am not or at that point was not familiar with. Um, it was so impactful, so, so impactful. So when I moved to Australia, I came with a very open mind, a very open heart, 
very open eyes and ears and just, you know, met these amazing people in a very short amount of time who were on the same page as this other, this woman who had the dreams. They had their own gifts and their own understanding and their own way of being in the world. And I just kind of submersed myself around amazing people like that and learned so much for them from them in the next 20 years, which a lot of the, a lot of the stuff I learned over those 20 years, I now roll into what I'm doing in my programs. And I'm not saying like we, you know, um, have dreams about, you know, that we become psychic, but we kind of do become psychic yeah. <laughs> or we are psychic and we're just remembering it. Yes. Or, you know, we, we focus a lot on animal communication and, you know, being able to have conversations with our animals and, what they're they're telling us and and how they're guiding us yeah so you know i wouldn't have even you know 20 years ago fathomed all that and all of that um had it not been for this woman however what's really interesting is that as a child you still i bet you were still able to understand what animals were saying oh of course yes yeah. yeah. So it's it's this weird thing that a lot of us have had as well. It's like I could walk into a person's house and go, oh, your dog's hips are really sore. And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I've got nothing to back it up, um, but maybe some fish oil. And, you know, they'd go and get it checked out and there's a problem with their dog's hips. And they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an animal communicator. No, no, that's yeah. not me. <laughs> I just thought it looked, you know, I could see something. And so, you know, we, we push it down and we, and we don't talk about it and we don't say we are it and do it. But it's really not that we become psychic and we become animal communicators. It's more that we own what it is that we've always done. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I think life kind of, you know, we're all born with those gifts. And, and you know, what I love about watching children coming into the world now is there's much more awareness around parenting. There's there's I'm surrounded by amazing, amazing parenting um, adults who foster all of that in their children. And, you know, so now these kids that are coming through now are just, they don't have to remember. They just are. Yeah. There's nothing there to re-remember. They just, they are it because they're encouraged to be it. They're, they're listened to when they ha when they speak, they're validated when they say whatever I'm talking to so-and-so, or, you know, I'm having, I'm having this conversation with your, your mother and, and, you know, she's passed over, but she'd like to say something to you. So, you know, it's just, it's fascinating how quickly I feel like we're expanding as human beings. Yeah, and the little ones are showing the way. Definitely. How did that then? So it, was it the fact that you kept going back to Canada and, and coming back? Did you, so you were mentored and you learned um, from the amazing people at the Correctional Centre. Yep. Where did you go from there as far as your training went? I know well, you've done some things yeah look i i'm always one for learning more and and i i never feel like i know enough so i've done you know lots of clinics and workshops with amazing horse people from all around the world um i've just been you know filling my cup up with with knowledge and information um who are some of those people oh when i was 19 i did i i'm sure you've heard of ray hunt 
Um, yes. So I did a Ray Hunt clinic when I was 19, um, which was really interesting. I took, <laughs> I took my grandfather with me. Um, oh, he must have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did he thank you for that? <laughs> He, let's just say he, um, he was not impressed. He did not understand it. He didn't have anything positive to say about it. That's for sure. Um, oh, bless his heart. You know, but you know, that was huge for me because here's this man who was doing what I did as a child, you know, just, uh, just did not knowing what it was I was doing. I was probably, you know, told I was not to do those types of things like, you know, jumping on a horse, not started horse with no bridle or no saddle and just jumping on them where, you know, <laughs> you're not supposed to do those things and see what happens and have that connection and all of that. So yeah, Ray Hunt was, was quite impactful for me because it was like he validated everything that I was doing as a child anyway. So that was that your first workshop with somebody else that was the first one you chose when you were that age when I was that age yeah definitely That's um right yeah and he just happened to be local you know in the local area and yeah I don't, I don't even really remember how I learned about it or how I got there but um I took this great big four-year-old mare who hadn't been started and big quarter horse mare and within you know five minutes of of being in the round pen and saddled, I was on her back, no halter, no nothing on her. And then with other horses and other people, just being a passenger. And then they opened up, <laughs> opened up the round pen gate and we were in the arena. Same thing, no, no halter, no nothing, just a saddle and us on as, as passengers. So around the arena, we went for about 10, 15 minutes and then they <laughs> opened up the gate and we were out in a thousand acre paddock. Wow. And just as passengers. And, you know, it was amazing. Because and as passengers, you mean you weren't asking anything of the horse? You were just nope. sitting? You were oh. just on the horse. You know, you had to you had to be there. It wasn't like you you were totally in the saddle and you were totally connected. And, you know, there were times, I call it, you had to cowgirl up a little bit because, you know, things would happen. But you were just a passenger. And... Mm we had outriders who kind of came along with us just to make sure that, you know, the horses stayed together as a herd and we all kind of off we went and they would, they would go any speed they wanted to go. We just had to be there. Wow. What was that like? <laughs> it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mind blowing actually. Um, it, yeah, just, and re you know, just that reconnection to not asking anything of the horse not just being just being wind in your hair and just being there mm. so present you know there was a little bit of fear don't get me wrong there was times when I'm like we had one fellow who was he had taps on his horses uh, on the saddle stirrups so to protect you from getting cactuses and stuff in your toes while you're riding mm-hmm and they hung down quite low, and so they'd drag through the bushes as we would all go, <laughs> and the horses would freak out because of the sound of, of the taps dragging through the bushes and stuff. So like I said, there was times you had to really cowgirl up and, and hang on and just be be 100% there and on your horse. You, you didn't want to come off. You know, it was like just, it was like a little tick to a dog. You just stuck there. Wow. 
and nobody got bucked off. Nobody got hurt. Nothing. It was so amazing. And he prepared you in the, in the lead. He prepared us. He prepared the horses. I'm pretty sure he prepared the horses a little bit better than he prepared the humans. <laughs> well, it's that, um, it, it teaches you so much though, doesn't it? It's so much about what we expect from horses. It's like, well, let's swap things around a little bit. Let's you betcha. You reverse betcha. the order and see how you feel. Yep. When you're on the other side of things. Yes. And now, when you have perceived control, what are you going to do differently? I love it. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, it put us in the horse's perspective. You know, when, when they're saddled for the first time, of course, there's fear involved. Um, it's something new, it's something they've never experienced before. And, you know, I, I, I do things totally different now than I, I did when I watched Ray Hunt. You know, I'm, I've learned so much more about being with a horse now that you don't have to put them in that state of fear. But back in, you know, this was, I don't know, I was 19. That was a long time ago where the natural horsemanship thing was just, just budding, just getting out there. It wasn't common um, like it is now and, evo and it's evolving now even more so you know but these horses had that state of fear and we certainly had that state of fear and when you when you're pushed into the your fight and flight brain it's like well how are you going to react or how are you going to respond when you react things happen bad things can happen when you respond you cowgirl up and you become one with that animal it's a totally different mindset and it really taught me over the years of how I deal with fight and flight, how I deal with that part of my brain. And I've become very resilient over the years from all the really wonderful experiences I've had to teach me to be resilient and stand in my fear. Oh, I love that. I so thought you were going to say stand in my power. No. <laughs> I stood in my fear and my vulnerability, which over time has become my power. Wow. And, you know, that's one of the things I hope I teach these people who come through my gate is that when we stand in our fear and we stand in our vulnerability and we stand in that, that is power. It is not a weakness. Brene Brown has done a lot around vulnerability and power. It's, mm. um, and she has that enormous um international voice so it's a it's a word that's come up a lot this year yeah how yeah. fantastic yeah so look life is giving me so many brilliant learning experiences and thank goodness i've taken most of them head on to actually learn and evolve and move and grow and you know my passion is teaching people how to do that, how to, how to just embrace life a little bit more. Everything, you know, unfortunately, life is not a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> I always say that to people. If you think you're coming through the gate and life is, you know, you're going to learn that or think that hor working with horses is a Disney movie and you're going to ride off into the sunset on the black stallion and, you know, with no halter and no bridle and, and, Everything is going to be lovely and roses. I said, you've got a lot to learn if that's what you're thinking. Because um, it's not like that. Um, it can, I suppose it can be like that. Maybe that's my, my limited thinking and I need to let that go and open up to the possibility of it being a Disney movie. 
but generally, yeah, but it's, you know, it's we, more that when stuff comes at you now, you've got skills, you've exactly. got a kit, and that's what the people in corrections don't have that I love is what they were given while they're there. Yeah. We have toolkit for life skills you called them life skills that were lacking and I see it so much in so many young people and that's why your common sense workshop is going to work so brilliantly yeah all you're doing is feeling the toolkit yes you know all Ray Hunt was doing was filling your toolkit and going think about this think about that now go and make it your own go and be amazing go and use these tools to do what it is you need to do and um, yeah that's absolutely what it's all about it's just filling everyone's toolkit Exactly right. And I love how you just worded that perfectly. Who else was an amazing influential teacher along the way for you? Look, I, um, this, the, the, one of the biggest impactful people in my life um, when I came to Australia was Graham O'Brien. And Graham O'Brien um, was a facilitator of personal development back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, he has since um, passed over, but he used to, with his beautiful wife, Gail, used to run workshops all around Australia called Phoenix Rising. And I did a workshop with them. I moved over to Australia with, with two children um, to marry an, and, you know, got married to an Australian who had three children. So we had, we had a big herd that we were trying to integrate together and, didn't really have any tools in the toolbox for what that looked like and how we might go about doing that. So started. <laughs> I love that. I have a similar story. And my partner says to me, cause he came to the relationship with three children and their mother had passed away. And he's like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, well, neither do I. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just pulling stuff out of my toolkit. Just <laughs> in work. Let me tell you, sometimes yeah. I have to rummage through that bag and it's empty. And yes. I have to figure out something new, you know, this is what life's about. I love it. Yeah. And so my, you know, my toolbox was empty for that one. And so I, I went to a, a workshop down in um, Gundagai of all places. And, um, met this man and honestly it was the most grassroots common sense learning it it was like everything I had ever questioned as a young person was answered in in one day oh that must have been such a relief oh it was like oh my gosh I get that now I understand that oh my goodness yes and all these light bulb moments just going off and going off and you know there was a lot of pain in in there to be healed and there was a lot of trauma to be healed a lot of trauma to be healed um so I went on this this beautiful journey with these lovely supportive wise people and um, came out the other side of it and, you know, did their facilitator training and have been a facilitator of their work for quite a number of years. And now I tie, you know, that toolbox with my horse toolbox and, you know, roll it all out into, into our program. So Graham O'Brien, he, he is with me today. He's with me always um, and following me around out in the horse paddock, I'm sure, and giving me a little kick up the butt when I need one. And, you know, he, he was an amazing mentor, an absolutely amazing mentor. He, he, was, he was brave, you know, he was courageous in his field. He did things that I don't believe anybody, you know, he went down the rabbit hole and he went down the rabbit hole with you and he brought you back up the other side. And I've never met anybody 
so courageous to to take people down into their deeper deepest darkest ugliest traumas and and bring them out the other side he was a brilliant man that's a lot of awareness as well isn't it you got to have a lot of consciousness and a lot of awareness to not get trapped down there you, you betcha stay far enough at uh, you know, be there for support, but stay far enough away to not get lost. Yep. And I believe that you have done a workshop in the States with Linda Cohenov as well. Is that true? You betcha. Yes. Um, trying to, you know, I was doing horse facilitated learning um, before I did Linda's workshop, but I was still kind of not a hundred percent on how to tie it all into the human being, how to, how to tie the horse world and the human world together. I, I get it like for myself and my own experiences, but I didn't kind of know how to tie that for others. So I went and did Linda's um, power of the herd apprenticeship in Arizona, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, spent a lot of time over there in the States and um, did a few other fun things while I was there, but basically focused on, on learning with her. And um, she's a brilliant writer, a brilliant horsewoman opened up my eyes to a whole another realm um, to, to work with. So, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, and she's another one. A lot of people I know that have actually worked with her or done her courses don't actually work exactly like she does. It's like there's concepts and ideas that are given to you and people that have worked with her really find an individual way to use the things that they've learned and make it their own. That's what I love about anyone who's worked with Linda. Yeah, definitely. And I, you'll never find two people doing it the same ever, um, which is great because you just, you can take that information. We base the apprenticeship on her book, the power of the herd and the power of the herd. I recommend to anybody to, to go and purchase have for yourself. It, it's my workbook. It's my handbook. It's a life toolbox, basically. There's so much information in that book. And she she comes at it from so many different angles that, you know, you can't help but get the information in some way that makes sense to you. So, yeah, that's something for your read or your listeners, if they were interested in that, to, to purchase that book. Yeah, she's written a lot. We'll put links in the show notes yeah. and on the blog yeah. as well. The um the Tao of Equus was the reason that I got into equine therapy in the first place. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd studied as a counsellor and I happened across that book and I always felt there was a piece of my puzzle missing. There was something in my toolbox that wasn't there. Yep. And I read that book and I was like, oh, my God, there, there it, it is. is. Yes, absolute piece that I needed to get. But also what I wanted to say is that as an absolute testament to what a real teacher is. If you become a protege of what somebody else is always teaching, then it's it's not authentically who you are. So that's what I love about her and what she teaches is that everyone does it differently yes. based on what she opens up within them. Yeah, definitely, amazing. definitely. You know, and it, it's really easy to take that information because she provides so much of it from so many different um you know, realms that you can take it and, and make it your own. So it, it, it resonates with you and your story. So I like working particularly with at risk youth because that's where I needed the most support and didn't have any support. 
so I can take information from her book and mold that into what I'm doing and present to at-risk youth in a really passionate, really vibrant, really impactful way because that's where I resonate. And tell me a little bit about what you do here in Australia with the at-risk youth. Look, I've been working with schools on the Sunshine Coast um, here for quite a number of years. And just the kids basically that they find in what they call their yellow or red zone. So they're doing it a bit tough at school um, behavior wise. And so the, the schools want to see them come back into that green zone and you know, of course, it's going to benefit their learning and their futures if they can keep them in that green zone. So I get those kids who are kind of coming, you know, coming off the rails a little bit and support them to do a little bit of learning about themselves and how they can get back on track um, in the schools. So I, I enjoy working with them immensely. Like I said, that's my forte is working with that type of, of kid. Um, I, I also do family, family work. We're, we're going a little bit into the disability sector as well, where we've been working with kids with autism. So, you know, it's all just been such an amazing journey. And it's the same. I, I look at it as the same as I look at a horse. It doesn't matter the breed of horse. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And a human is a human. And we all come with our stories. We all come with our traumas. We all come with whatever that history is. And it's just a matter of supporting people to get a better quality of life through understanding themselves. Can we pop back to the at-risk youth? Have you got an example of somebody that's come through your program and the changes that they've made? There's a, there's a school um, at Nambour. I, I won't go into specifics, but there's a school at Nambour that um, does a lot of programs with, with us. When they come through the gate, you know, it's we try to provide an environment where they can feel really relaxed. So it's kind of a little homey environment for them where they, as soon as they come in the gate, they, they start kind of unfolding a little bit. And we don't get into their stories. We let their stories kind of unfold if they feel they need to share or, you know, whatever. It's not like we go prying for information. It just, if they feel they need to share part of their story, they do share it. And this one particular boy, he came with a very big story, um, a very big history, a lot of trauma in his background. And, you know, he just found at school, the environment at school was just overwhelming for him. A lot of these kids are those like little um, empaths where school, the school's environment does not suit them. Mm-hmm. And it's overstimulating their parasympathetic system. So they're in fight and flight a lot. And they don't know how to come out of fight and flight. So they're just, you know, they're just reacting to the environment around them they're reacting to the fight and flight around them yeah so we teach them how to how to change their brain how to come out of that reptilian part of our brain and more into their mammalian part of the brain the more you know fostering a bit of more oxytocin rather than testosterone and when we get into that oxytocin part of our brain and that mammalian part of our brain they they just soften you know, and that happens with the horse that they start softening. And so we're teaching them about their, their brains or we're teaching them how to go from fight and flight to softening. And it's all in, you know, what they do around the horse and how they are around the horse. And so we have a term that is called step back and breathe. So anytime they're feeling like they're getting into that 
fight and flight part of their brain, step back and breathe, step back and take a breath. And that breath is what actually gets them to connect the other part of their brain. So they're out of fight and flight and they're into a conscious thinking part of their brain. So the, the um, lovely man who accompanies the kids, he's the, um, the school behavioral therapist, mm-hmm. comes out with them and, um, you know, he's part of the program as well. So he's learning this terminology and he's learning step back and breathe and he's learning how we language things and, you know, he's doing his thing and, and, you know, he sees these kids responding so well to everything that they're being taught. So this boy at school was about ready to jump into a situation where his fight and flight brain and his um, reactive brain was totally and completely charged 100% moving forward and potentially going to get going to turn into something really big with another student. And the, <laughs> the lovely behavioral therapist saw what was happening out in the playground and he just screamed at the top of his lungs, step back and breathe. And the boy did and completely and totally stopped the situation that was going to happen from happening and did not end up, you know, in detention or kicked out of school again. Wow. So, You know, that for me was such a a huge story. It's like, okay, so not only are the kids benefiting from this, their support systems are benefiting from it, and they're able to support them with horse wisdom. Like it wasn't like an adult or, you know, this power authority telling this kid what to do. As soon as he heard step back and breathe, he he would have, his brain would have gone immediately back to a horse back to being with a horse in a horse environment and all the things that he learned there. And, you know, that's the way our brain is wired. It doesn't know the difference between what's happening today and what's happened in the past. So when you trigger it, it's going to go back to the first time it heard step back and breathe, which was in the horse paddock. Yeah. The reference point of where you betcha, came from. which was his place of joy and happiness. Mm. So it's hard to be in your fight and flight brain when you get triggered back into joy and happiness. And it's so fantastic. You know, we always say it takes a village to raise a child. And I've noticed with our local schools here in the Sanford Valley, um, our nine, almost 10-year-old is um, on the spectrum as well. And she has all of those problems. And we're so lucky the support systems they have in schools now. She goes to a public school and the awareness they're having, they're, they're searching for tools. You know, we didn't have that when we were kids. No, we didn't, but we did have those teachers who took us out under a tree for a class. Yes. And yes. wasn't that the best class ever? Yes, and you got to ride a horse home, so how could that not be a bad experience? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> you know, we need, to, we need to start getting these kids back to nature, and that's another beauty of working with horses and in the environment that we do is they're back in nature. They're back out breathing air. Um, I don't want this to sound detrimental, but there's a lot of children out there who don't even know how to breathe properly, if that yeah, makes sense. there's a lot of adults as well that don't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just when I did therapy work, sometimes teaching them how to breathe and just basic breath work could change their life. You betcha. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. It absolutely affects the brain, the nervous system, everything. Yep. Yep. And they come out and they're, you know, they're allowed to be them, themselves. The horse sees them for who they really are 
bravado aside, they can come out as the toughest, roughest, meanest kid on the playground and the horse just goes, yeah, whatever. Um, I see who you really are, you big softy with a big open heart. And there's no um, pressure of social media. There's no judgment. There's no... no. Anything like that, that that kids are under now, I often feel a bit sorry for kids these days. They don't have the ability to do the risk-taking behavior that we did. Yeah. The freedom of our baby boomer, boomer generation parents that kind of gave us a very long leash. Yeah. You know, and I see, I see parents now that, you know, those aware parents now getting back to that. They're getting, they are getting back to that kind of loosening the leash and, and allowing their kids to have their experiences because, you know, they create their own environment around them. So if these kids don't have trauma in their lives, if they don't have that parent saying, no, you can't do that, or no, you can't do that. They, they don't create an environment that is going to bring that to them. Yeah. It's, they're clear. So they're not going to create a dangerous environment. They're not going to create a fear-based environment because their parents aren't, aren't fostering that in themselves. Yeah. There's so much generational stuff that we carry that we're so unaware of that affects our future. It really does. And the... Um, a lot of my training was in family constellation work of um, Bert Hellinger and it worked completely on that, our absolute uh, loyalty to the system that we come from. And if there's yeah. anything unresolved that uh, it, within the family system, how the most sensitive, the empath, of course, yep. will we'll blindly take that on. There's a lot yes. of blind love in children who will do whatever they need to for the family system and yeah it, it takes some healing it certainly does definitely mm, wonderful what a, what a great place to heal it out in the paddock with a horse i know i don't think there's a better <laughs> place it's certainly my favorite place to do it yeah and working with kids on the spectrum that you were saying you're starting to to tap into that now do you work with them differently to a normal neuro kid or is it a little bit different it's a little bit different, not not so much with the horses. The horse thing is all kind of the same, and I find actually that the horses respond quicker to these kids. They want to be more engaged with them. They are more connected to them quicker, which is fascinating to watch, mm. um, which, you know, makes sense because they're the sensitive little empaths out in the world and, you know, they're they're in their own bubble and their bubble is beautiful and i believe the horses have kind of given me a couple you know little clips in my brain of of what they see when they see these children approaching them and and they're looking at their bubble they're feeling their bubble they're they're not really seeing the absolute physical form of what's coming towards them they're seeing everything around them so when these little sprites come through and they're, you know, they're in these beautiful bubbles of their own world, that's what the horse is seeing. That's extraordinary. What's it look like? It looks pretty. <laughs> it's very pretty. It's very colorful. Yeah, it, it's really hard to describe. 
the horse, the, the horse, from my perspective, what the horse showed me is they're, they're seeing the energy or what we call our bio, bio field, I guess is what it's called scientifically. Um, that's really what they're looking at wow. when we approach them as we are approaching, which is why it's so important. And we teach this and it's one of the biggest things I learned from Linda is when we're in their bubble, when we are in that zone that we step back and breathe and respect that horse's bubble. And as we're going closer to the bubble or closer to the horse, that there's many layers of this bubble and we need to respect each and every one of those layers. And if we're able to do that and honor the horse, then the horse becomes pretty much putty in our hands. Mm, there's a beautiful trainer who's around our area actually called Emma Bryant, who I've interviewed for this podcast. And she works on that edge of the bubble. She actually, first of all, before she does anything with a horse, finds where the edge of the bubble is and stands just outside it and relaxes. Yeah. And waits for the horse then to have their let down time. And then she, she takes the next step. And it is extraordinary. And sometimes it takes such a long time. But she waits for the horse to then come and engage with her, saying, yeah. you respected my bubble, you respected my space, let's come up and, and do it. Exactly. And, and it is such a brilliant process to watch. And I watch it with these kids with fascination every time that they do it as to, you know, it, the horse coming up to the child when they're patient enough and wait. I mean, that to me is divinity. It's absolute divine to watch that happen when that horse comes to the child to greet them. Beautiful. It's, it's like magic. And I worked with a little Brumby mare a, a month ago and she hadn't had a lot done with her. She only had a halter on her. And it took me two days of working in her bubble for her to come to me and put her nose on my arm. Wow. Two days of being in her bubble and just taking a step back and breathing and moving energy so she felt comfortable with me and could trust me. And, you know, me with my silly humanness, just trying to keep my hands from reaching out to touch her because that was too much energy coming at her. Yeah. So I had to, like, you know, I had to really control my humanness and wanting to touch her and just say, okay, well, let's just play in her space in her way and see how long it takes. And it took two days before she touched me. And when she touched me, then she was ready to move forward. Beautiful. Then our relationship changed. Yeah. And she trusted me because I took that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people say, I was reading an article saying horses don't really understand respect. They just know feedback um, in mm. the moment, but they do understand energy and they wouldn't understand what the word respect meant, but they can certainly see whether or not you're understanding how to communicate and engage with them or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. And you also work with you do a mother and daughters united we do we do mothers and daughters united um, workshops which are beautiful it's like the mare and the filly and um, I have some beautiful um, lovely lead mares to support in that program and it's such a fascinating magical little space um, for the mums and daughters to come through and you know, open up those 
communication places that maybe have been shut down a little bit or, you know, just having the courage to have conversations with your kids that maybe need to be had that you're not sure how to have them. You know, these young girls are their mothers becoming and, you know, their mothers have a lot of stories and information for them that need to be shared. And it's providing that environment that they can share those stories with no judgment and no, you know, nothing coming back at them ever that, that their daughters know who their mothers are. Wow. Cause they know energetically, <laughs> but they, they need that validated for them. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to speak the truth is one of the most healing things that I think you could ever do. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I know my relationship with my mother and my grandmother, I was so blessed. I, I was, I knew both of my great grandmothers as a child and my grandmothers and my mother. And so I was surrounded by these really powerful, amazing women who had their own traumas. I mean, my, my, <laughs> my beautiful grandmother was born in 1914 and I knew her mother who was born in the 1800s and the stories and the resilience that these women had living in Canada, how they survived winters without, you know, heating and all of that was just amazing. But they also like kind of cellularly held a lot of, a lot of wisdom that they never really shared verbally. And I think as a, as a child, had I known the verbal stories, it would have made the cellular memories, I would have understood them more. And I probably maybe would have evolved as a, as a, a woman a lot quicker and a lot clearer without as many traumas in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I'd like to, in this this workshop, provide that, environment that mothers can share their stories no matter how horrific they are because these young girls like I said cellularly feel the story but they don't have anything to validate why they're feeling that way yeah and the and those feelings can stay where they belong they don't exactly have to then be passed down to the daughter it's the basis behind family constellations once you give a voice and you give truth uh, to any story, it's able to rest in place and doesn't have to be then passed on. It can stay with the person who had the experience. Yeah. yeah, and the energy behind that experience does not have to be played out. Exactly. You can actually start your own story nice and fresh in honouring yeah. the life force that was given to you, but you exactly it, the rest stays with you. You even work with corporate. And business services, that's a bit of a completely different energy to mothers and daughters and children coming through. Then all of a sudden we have the the squareness and the solidness of the corporate business world. Yeah, and look, I must admit that is not my forte, but it's it's you know, it's just the same it's all the same wisdom. I mean, horse wisdom for everyday life comes in many different forms and, and you can, you know, mold it however you need to and present it however you need to. And I've never been one for being in a corporate world. So I must admit they get a pretty um, <laughs> grassroots 
kind of philosophies for me. I like to keep things simple and grounded and, you know, I talk the way I talk. So sometimes I think I stretch them a little bit, which I think is part of the process. And which is very it's, good for them because seriously, they've signed up for a horse program. What are they really expecting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, the the philosophies and the wisdom can can be adopted in any part of our lives, whether it's in business. And, you know, our businesses they are part of us and they, you know, who we are as a person needs to be reflected in our business. You can't, you can't take one hat off without leaving, you know, a bit of residue when you put the other hat on. So I, I don't see there's a big difference in, you know, that corporate world and, and who people are as people, if they can start being more authentic, open and authentic in their corporate lives, it's certainly going to work better in their corporate life. But, you know, the corporate world's got a lot to learn. There's still that dog-eat-dog mentality, and it's a very, uh, and you know, interesting. I picked that terminology to dog-eat-dog because there's not a lot of horse wisdom in the corporate world. It is more that predator kind of philosophy and um, more, you know, maybe they'd, they'd do better doing dog workshops. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And politics. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, not my forte, not where I, I spend a lot of my time in that realm. Um, you know, always open to, to it coming my way, but it's not kind of where I project myself. And I was just going to mention, you know, with the mares and fillies programs next year, we're going to be doing um, stallion to colts programs. So we'll be working with the men and the sons and, always need more men in this realm that we're in. It seems us ladies have kind of taken over in the, in the world um, of healing. And it's so nice to see men kind of tackle this as well. So we're going to be starting the Colts, um, the stallions to, or the Colts to stallions um, program next year. Beautiful. And happen to have some beautiful stallions to um, tag in on the um, program as well. It's an interesting, this is a, a really interesting process um, opening up this door because it, I feel in, in our world we've, we've kind of, you know, castorized, castorated men in, left them behind in the healing world. And um, it's interesting, you know, working with that raw energy of the stallion, how that all kind of is going to unfold and look for the men and the boys fascinating i definitely want to learn more about that that's um i i look forward to hearing from you about what you did learn yes um that will be watch this space i'm yeah. sure we can do a lot of um yeah i can't predict it. it yeah i can't predict no. it i can't see no. it in my mind usually i get a feeling about things it's like nope i've got nothing so that's yet to be determined how exciting which is the beauty of the horses, isn't it? That they give us so many different kind of realms to go down, so many different uh, paths to follow. It's just like, where do you want to go with this? How do you want to teach it? Where's your forte? You know, get it out there to the world. I, I'm predicting world domination by horses by 2020. Fantastic. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> My podcast yeah. is in full support. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was really cute. I just um, noticed on Facebook that they are now allowing mini horses to travel in the 
cabin on planes in America if they're therapy horses. So, I mean, the horses are, they're taking over. Watch this space. And my God, they need to. They <laughs> Don't they just? <laughs> We've got lessons to learn. Uh-huh. And on that, as they are possibly and probably the ultimate empath in every way, shape and form, how do you work with these empathic beings taking I don't know if they take it on, but working with so many different energies. So just like we were empaths as kids and we were really negatively affected by all of the energy around it, how do you manage that with your horses, your incredible therapists that are there? How do you help manage that energy with them? Well, look, you as a facilitator and, and as a, you know, as my horses, um, I'm not an owner, but as my horse's protector, I guess, you have to be really aware of the energies that they are working with. And I do find that the more sensitive horses take on the feelings and emotions more than the other horses, like particularly the mares. Um, my, my mares take on a lot. So I have that downtime for them. I make sure that they have their own space, that I can do whatever I can for them in the, in their realm to make their lives better. And just being really super aware of who they're working with. And, you know, you can feel it in them after a session if they're doing it tough. And it's just about, you know, giving them some love, giving, giving them, you know, that energy back supporting them the best way you can i'm going to start using crystals with them um so we'll have little lanyards um around their necks that we can hook different crystals on for different days different experiences and you know as a a form of protection do a lot you know just do a lot of energy work with them to to help them i have a beautiful friend who comes and does bowen with them so just all those little things that we do for our own self-care when we work in this environment, we need to do for our horses as well. That's beautiful, yeah, and especially the mothers, you know. The mothers are the ones that oh. will take on the biggest load, will dive in and take on the big challenges but aren't so so good at when it comes to um, to looking after themselves and that's beautiful to hear. Yeah, it is something that I'm I'm really passionate about supporting people in the field with making sure that their horses are looked after in that way and that we we actually recognize, you know, that we're giving them choice to work. That it's was not my like next the, question. Know, they, that was my yeah. next question. How do you manage whether they want to work on a day or not? Yeah, and you know, it depends on the group, and it depends who's coming, and you know, there's a a lot of different factors to to consider. But for me, if I can provide the environment where I've got enough horsepower that I can go, okay, who wants to work today? They they already know who's kind of or what you know what's coming through the gate in the mornings. They they're so wise these horses. So whether you know, I don't know if they're picking up on what I'm sending them or what you know it whatever they they know so they'll choose whether or not they want to to work so if you've got the horsepower you can open up the gate who wants to work today in some will come out some will go they'll sort themselves out and then they get to choose who they work with so i i have it set up so that the 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 people come the clients come in and they can stand and the horse will come to them so whatever horse they need to work with will come to them then I know from the horse's characteristics 
you know, what that person has come for, what skills they are going to learn and why they need to learn them. Brilliant. It's fascinating. But yeah, getting back to the horse's well-being, it's like, okay, setting up your environment so that the horse feels like they have choice in what is happening and how it's going to happen. Yeah. Or that the horse does have that choice. You know, sometimes sometimes we've just got to, you know, buck up little camper. we got a job to do. This, this human needs us. And it needs you in particular. And I know maybe you're not, you know, you, you didn't sign up today to, to work this hard, but let, you can do it. And just reaffirming that with them that they've been chosen for a reason. And, you know, horses get that. They've been with us humans for thousands of years supporting us on so many different levels. And I really feel like this level of support for them is easy compared to what they've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of having a shut down human being and dragging a cart along and having them on the yes. and Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like, they're like up for the challenge. It's like, bring it on. We've been waiting for you humans to catch up for thousands of years to everything that we've got to offer you. And it's like, now we're ready to offer it unconditionally again, you know? So that, yeah, they're so wise. They're so, so wise. So I like to set things up. So the horses have choice. I like to set things up. So when they come into the round pen, there's a flow to it. They're not being led into the round pen that you open up the gate, invite whoever wants to come and work in the round pen next comes in. Um, so just working out a flow in, in your facility that the horses get the flow. They get the feeling like they have that choice of coming in when they want to come in, do their thing, support the human, and then out the gate they go and, and go back to grazing. I love it. It's um, you, You're like somebody who just, just says exactly the things that I used to say. It's fantastic. It's everything I used to do. <laughs> I used to be known as um, as being able to do everything so fast with people because I would literally just spend – 10 minutes, I wouldn't know who was coming up when I worked up at Gwingana Lifestyle Retreat and when I worked at my home, I would I would book and I wouldn't really ask um, at Gwingana, I didn't know who was coming other than a name and when I worked at my home, I didn't get much background on who was coming and the reason for that was I had to trust the process so my horses were mm. like, hand it to us and work with us and let's do this together, don't try and control. So our process was that I would spend 10 minutes with them before the person got there and once the person got there, I absolutely knew what was going on for them when they yep. walk in. So my horses were able to tune in to whatever it is that was coming, whatever it is that needed to happen, and they would give me a very clear picture. So when people walked in, if they needed to download, they had time to download if that was important. But I was also able to say, okay, tell me about this. And they were like, oh, my God. And sometimes they thought they were coming there for something else. Yes. Um, but the horses were able to say, no, this is what you need to work on today and it's deeper. And once you work on this, then everything else will flow from there. Okay. So, um, so they really, really, if you allow them to, will bring something so special to the table that, that, um, conventional human to human speaking and even hands on therapy can't really do. They've got an element that is really extraordinary. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, I think, too, part of it is, as human beings, you know, because of our pasts, our traumas, or, you know, whatever our stories are, we tend to lose a little bit of trust for other human beings. And when 
a message comes or a, a learning comes from an animal. And, you know, horses for sure are brilliant at it, but other animals are brilliant at providing that as well, that information as well. It's like you accept it when it comes from that other source, when it's not a human. It's so true. It, it's more, it, it feels different. It feels better. There's, there's no judgment behind the, not, you know, there's no, there's no agenda attached to the information that's being passed. It's just, here's the information raw, do what you want with it. Mm, yeah, I agree. I've seen that a lot as well. And if you just think about that yourself when people say things, even when they say it as an invitation, you always kind of think about it first and go, oh, hold on a second, and it takes time to get through. But anything I've been given by the horses is always just taken. They give it from such an extraordinary place. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So where is it that we can find out more about what it is that you do? Well, I have a website, um, leadingthewayinternational.com. Um, I'm based at the Sunshine Coast, so I'm out at Belli Park between Kenilworth and Yamundi. And, you know, I find a lot of people find us just stopping in and driving past and going, oh, we saw your sign and is it okay if we have a chat? And we usually end up meeting horses. And <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's where we're at. We have an open gate policy as well. So if people have come through and done programs with us, and particularly the school kids, they're always the gate is always open for them to come back and reconnect and we have many takers <laughs> which is fantastic to see the kids again and find out how their lives are going and and you know they love to come back and reconnect with the horse that they worked with and it's beautiful so yeah we have this beautiful open gate policy that um, we'll definitely maintain maintain into the future yeah and i would just like to say that i can see on your round yard the pictures on your website there's a couple of things that hang off of the, the gate of your round yard. And one of them is that you're entering the realm of endless possibilities as you walk into the round yard, which mm, is just fantastic. Yes. And the other one is I offer you peace. I offer you love. I offer you friendship. I see your beauty. I hear your needs. I feel your feelings. My wisdom flows from the highest source. I salute that source in you. Let us work together. That is extraordinary and beautiful and wonderful. And how could that not in itself and the intention that you're setting for anyone who comes in make a difference in itself, let alone the work that you do beyond that? Mm, thank you. Yes, I, I do love those little signs there. <laughs> yeah. They ground you and open you on the way through just because of their intention, I'm sure. Yeah. That's the feeling I get. Are you on social media at all? I'm on Facebook. Yes, we have a Facebook page, which is Leading the Way International. There's some great little videos on there of um, some of the stuff that we do and um, what that all looks like. So for sure, people can see it, catch us on there. I'm not on any other social media other than Facebook. Don't have mm -hmm. time for anything else. <laughs> yeah. It's very time consuming. I agree. And the wonderful thing is that if there is enough interest anywhere in the world from people who can get horses and a group together, you are available to travel. You betcha. Yep. Point me to the horses and the people and I will be there for sure. Yep. As long as I can find somebody to look after my herd while I'm gone, which I'm usually very creative at doing that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I love, I love going to other countries and I love, had some beautiful experiences in Guatemala and, you know, just 
the people, different people and different horses and different environments. I just I absolutely love it. So always open to travel. Yeah, because every culture and every land from the first people of that land has an amazing story to tell and an amazing wisdom that goes along with it. So I imagine just even what's in the earth under your feet would be extraordinary, the learnings there, let alone the horses and the culture of the people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So anyone listening from all over the world, because we do have listeners all over the world, um, just because we are lucky enough to have AJ here, with us on the coast in um, Queensland doesn't mean that she can't be coming your way sometime soon if you can organise yourself a group of horses and people. That's it. So AJ, I would love to thank you for your time today, but mostly I want to thank you for what it is you do for horses every single day. I know how much it is that they appreciate the fact that they have people that listen to them and finally understand why it is that they're here So um, thank you for everything that you do and thank you for your time today. Oh, look, Tracy, thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity. And I would love to catch up with you again on the podcast after you've had your learnings from the Colt to Stallion because there's something really important, I have a feeling, in that message that we need to get out there as well. There definitely is and and it's it's evolving. Um, I don't have, I'm like you, I don't have a clear picture on that yet but it, it needs to happen and it's something that it's got a lot of power behind it, this one. So yeah, I will be happy to share that when it all evolves. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully all of you just got goosebumps like I just did. Yes. The pretty cool thing that's coming. All right, AJ, thanks so much again for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with AJ, then you can either follow the links in the show notes or you can go to the blog on my website where you can see photos of AJ and her herd of healers. It's comealongfortheride.com.au. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd love it if you'd get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast have some really wonderful people lined up to speak to but this is your show as much as mine so please if there's anyone you'd like to hear from get in touch via the website or social media thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride